So please remain standing for our scripture lesson. We're back in Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, just two verses, 23 and 24. After king recognized that he was okay, then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Two weeks from today, we're going to start a new series in 1 John, New Testament book, a little book, five chapters, very profound, very wonderful book. And what we're also going to do is intersperse some of the highlights that are found in Daniel 7 through 12 that are just so great, it would be a shame if we didn't cover them. But Uh, dealing with Alexander the Great and Cleopatra and the uh, other people involved, well, I think we'll leave that to another world of ministry. And um, so anyway, that's the plan, and so you can be thinking about that and praying for us in that regard and for your church as well. Well, for today, we're in the exciting sixth chapter. Now, the plan here is to to preach this sermon, and then next week, do the balance of chapter six. And then, again, on the 8th of May, begin a series in 1 John. Okay? So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your grace to us. We're grateful that the years come and the years go and that you're still sovereign and control over all things. We thank you that every Sunday you feed us Jesus in the word and sacrament and prayer. We pray that you will grant now to our hearts the the grace to receive him with humility and boldness and courage and confidence and faith. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what had been crafted as Daniel's lion's den by these devious people in Medo-Persia that had worked with Daniel, who were in an administrative position, we love our good administrators, these people were more concerned about their own well-being and advancing over Daniel and others. They had crafted this lion's den to be Daniel's lion's den. But in today's text, we're going to see where God turns it into his, if you will, lion's den and recompenses Daniel's enemies and releases Daniel from it. Like we saw last Sunday providentially in the Easter sermon out of the 23rd verse, we're actually reusing that text here today. Now, life and death are extremely serious matters, so this is a really serious sermon. It's about things that really matter. Everything is on the table here today. Everything is out there and exposed to all the world to behold life and death. Life is found only in Jesus Christ in any form, and anything separated from Jesus Christ in any way is death and has no ultimate value. 
So everything we do throughout this week is somehow related to Jesus Christ if we're walking in his light. So what happens in today's scripture text is neither pleasant nor politically expedient or correct for us, and yet it is extremely important that we all, all of us and all human beings, take note of what happens because actions have consequences and even the actions of other people can have negative consequences. We heard Elder Craig read that end of the 24th verse of our scripture lesson for today. And again, we don't find this pleasant, but it is the word of God. And here's the other thing. All of us, whether we're lovers of God and Jesus Christ, haters of God and Jesus Christ, or just confused about life, all of us end up in a lion's den at one time or another. Everybody does. The saints certainly do because we're put through the fiery furnaces and trials and afflictions in this world to burn off the dross of our sin and corruption to make us more like Jesus. And even the unbelievers do, but their state is much worse because whereby we are liberated from that den by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, which we celebrated last Lord's Day especially, The world of unrepentant sinners will fall into a den of their own making, which though they had designed it to entrap the people of God, in this case Daniel, will prove to be their permanent cell. Now, I told you this is a serious sermon, and because all of this is critically important dynamic, let's make it our goal this Sabbath day, this resurrection day, to bless God for giving us Jesus the Christ who is the resurrection and the life, John 11:25a. <clears throat> With this in mind, we're going to make our study out of Daniel 6, 23 and 24. And if you wish to use the outline, we begin here. God's lion's den, first the doctrine. The same den from which Christ's church is resurrected entombs his enemies. Now this general concept is certainly true in life all the time. But in today's scripture text, it literally happened. There is a sense in which we could say that the empty tomb now of our Lord Jesus Christ is now filled with the dead souls and eventual bodies of all those who dare resist him and do not take advantage of this gracious gospel life that God gives us in Jesus Christ. Lord's Day to Lord's Day from faithful pulpits all around the world. So let us now get a good handle on how the same den from which Christ's church is resurrected entombs his enemies. First, what the world hopes will destroy God's saints. And of course, that's the world's basic aim. It can't help it. That's not new, though. This isn't like new news out of 2022. This has been around since the moment Adam, the federal head of the human race, sinned in the garden and thrust all of us into rebellion and hatred for God. All of us are conceived in that state. So none of this is new. Now, I ask you, how successful has the world and Satan been at eliminating, exterminating, and annihilating the redeemed church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Not very successful. We're still here today. And there are faithful churches all around the globe today. And in fact, the gospel is spreading across the globe today. In many places, very rapidly. In sometimes unexpected places like the country of Iran, where the gospel is spreading very quickly. Now, will this stop 
the world from trying to get rid of us because we're this troubling people in the world that just cause problems for everybody? No, it won't stop. The fact that they can't succeed at it? No. There's a sense in which they can't help but do it. And we did it too. Because we were in that boat too. We hated God before our regenerations. We couldn't stand Him. Whether we were civil or polite or whatever, we despised God loathed his Christ, wanted nothing to do with him. That's the state. But God be praised. He brought us to where we are today by his sovereign grace alone and nothing to do with us. No goodness in us, no righteousness, no justice, no pleasantness, nothing but a mass of putrid corruption and death. That's all we are outside of Jesus Christ. But look at what he's done with us in Jesus Christ. We have every good thing. Life, grace, glory, mercy, kindness, tenderness, holiness, justice, truth, and light. The lion's den, really, interestingly, as for Daniel, even for us, becomes a sanctified place where we grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, even though it's not a pleasant place by any means. What the world hopes will destroy God's saints ends up wrecking them the world instead. W-R-E-C-K-I-N-G. Now this is a sad end of the story, but it is the truth. You know, there's a very sweet verse tucked away in the prophecy of Isaiah which I like to read every Sunday morning when I know I'm going to be preaching. I have a, a certain regimen. I'm a creature of habit. And uh, Sunday mornings I have various texts, the pastoral epistles, psalms. This one comes from Isaiah 54:17, And it's an extremely fitting and relevant text for any called church minister, but it also applies to every faithful Christian churchman, whether they're an officer or parishioner of any sort. This would apply to all who truly love God and Jesus Christ and are faithful in the covenant. Here's what these words say. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? He's giving this promise that all the opposition, all the rage, all the fury, all the warfare, all the angst, the anger, the, the wrath cannot prevail against any servant of the Lord. Not just Isaiah, not just a prophet, not just an apostle, not just a pastor or an elder or a deacon, any faithful parishioner of a faithful church. That principle in that Isaiah text is inherent in today's text where the connivers and, regrettably, their whole families get caught up in the results of the wicked people trying to trap and kill the great servant of God, Daniel. You know, there's when the world's wild and frenzied ride to perdition hits the brick wall of God's great judgment day, and it will someday, the wreckage is going to be sprung all over hell, and I mean that literally, and I say it soberly. It's going to be a train wreck of mag, 
magnificent proportions. This is one of the main reasons that we as the church need to live a life of peace, a life of love, a life of grace, a life of mercy and kindness, a life of service in the church first and from here to our community, our families, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our schools, whatever it might be. We bring the grace and gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ into it so that those who are among God's elect or chosen will behold our love for God and one another in Christ Jesus and will be drawn irresistibly even through God's ordinary means of grace like preaching and prayer and eventually the sacrament to embrace Jesus Christ in love and to become part of of that sanctuary, the church of God. Let's look at these amazing verses. 23 and 24, chapter 6, Daniel. And be wise to the nature of the one self-same lion's den. Now children, the word self-same basically means <clears throat> same, but it's not different at all. Now this is an interesting study of only two verses, and we're going to behold the same lion's den, and in it, It itself never changes, but what occurs in it, the dynamics within it, alter considerably and quite dramatically. God is not to be conceived of here or anywhere as being absent. God sees everything. He's omniscient, omnipresent. He understands everything. It's not like he left the den after Daniel left it. He saw it all. He conceives of it all in his perfect mind. So whether these scenes are redemptive or retributive, God is there. Let us now observe a great microcosm of the world as it is and as it will be. And even if it's a sober picture, let us get a sense of the nature of the one self-same lion's den. First, it was a place of resurrection grace for God's child, verse 23. And how wonderful was it that we could use this verse on Easter Sunday last week. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Again, we looked at that beautiful story last week, and this part of it is really wonderful. Daniel is put in a miserable, awful, terrible place, God protects him, shuts the the lion's mouth by his angel. Daniel is there. He's faithfully praised there. In this snippet of the den drama, the prophet is released from it, and there is exceeding gladness spewing out of the den. King Darius, who may have been a believer by this time, is really happy. He's very thankful. He's very glad that his servant Daniel is is fine and, and is living. And just here, we see that this is an interesting, intriguing situation for us to consider, dear saints of Christ Church. Namely, think about this. What was meant to harm us in the providential sovereignty of a great and totally sovereign, in control God turns out to aid us in Jesus, our risen King. Yeah, they had hoped that Daniel would die in the lion's den, but instead of that, he actually comes out, rises from the dead, as it were, with great glory and mercy. And notice what John Calvin called the instrumental cause of 
our release, namely our God-given faith in Jesus, which is the gift of the sovereign triune deity. We know that because these are the words that close out verse 23. No kind of harm was found on him, Daniel, because he trusted in his God. And dears, may it be said of us that we trust in our God. No matter what the trials, the furnaces, the fires, the lion's dens, the places we find ourselves, good or bad, let us trust in our God. The nature of the one self-same lion's den. It was a place of resurrection grace for God's child, and it was a place of just punishment for God's foes. Verse 24a. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. Okay, so let me make about five theological pronouncements here. First, it must be said that all God's punishment is just. God is completely just. There's a lot of talk about justice today, and there's very little of it, but we can be assured that God truly is just. Secondly, it must be said that all sins are ultimately punished by death. No one gets away with anything. No sin goes unpunished. And ultimately, the punishment is death. Thirdly, it must be said that Christ fully absorbed the punishment due to his elect and now regenerated, redeemed church when he bore it on the cross, whereas those who reject him, the only means of atonement and forgiveness, bear their own sin in the death of perdition or hell. And finally, it should be said that God does discipline his children, even as a good father disciplines his offspring, as per Hebrews 12:7. All that to say that the Medo-Persian bureaucrats who had expended so much time and energy, rather than doing their job, seeking to entrap and scheme and find a way to rub out Daniel, the lover of God, let's face it, they got their just desserts. They got exactly what they had designed for an innocent man to suffer. The king throws them into the den. Can anyone argue with the king's decision? After all, the king was also a victim in the story too because he got tricked. He got connived into doing this whole thing because his pride and his ego got niggled at. Oh, everybody should just pray to you. Doesn't that sound good, king? Oh yeah, that sounds real good. And let's get Daniel and know you're the reason for it. He was not a happy camper. And I'm sure he didn't have any second thought about throwing those men into the lion's den. Now, just in case anybody is inclined to begin to feel sorry for the world of rebellious, God-hating sinners like we were before our regenerations, please remember, dears, that the world does what it does because it wants to do it. People do what they do. Sinners do the sins they do because they want to do it. And in fact, the world of condemned sinners know that they merit damnation. If you have any doubt about that, I reference for you Romans one thirty-two. 
which says as much. They know what's coming down the pike on the judgment day, and they're willing to do it. In fact, they would prefer hell to heaven, because who would want to be in the presence of a glorious God if you hated him for all eternity? It's just the truth. It's that serious, the nature of the fall of man into sin, and where we all were, perhaps some of us are even today. The nature of the one self-same lion's den, a place of resurrection grace for God's child, a place of just punishment for God's foes, and finally, it is, I put that in the present tense, it is a place of sober theology, theology, T-H-E-O-L-O-G-Y for everyone, Verse 24b and c. They, their children, and their wives, before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. That's, that's, a, that's tough, right? I mean, look, it's understandable that they throw the, the evil men who tried to, to kill Daniel in the lion's den, but now their wives, their children get tossed in there too. Now, we made a very strong point about the justness of God's punishment of evildoers. And this last part of verse 24 needs to require a sensitive look from us at the residual suffering that people associated with outward evildoers sometimes undergo. Now, this is one of the reasons why sin at every level is wrong. A lot of times you hear people say, Oh, it won't affect anybody else. Every single sin has ramifications beyond itself. Not one sin committed in the entire history of the fallen world was contained to just that one person or being, be it a human or an angel, a demon. All sins have repercussions. And they are serious. And they're sad. And sometimes people who are constitutionally or even legally Innocent, in the sense that they themselves didn't do it, end up suffering for it. Now, there's some other very close Old Testament analogies to this Daniel 6 account. One is the famous one found in the book of Esther, which we studied a few years ago, where Haman gets hanged on the gallows, the same gallows that he had built to execute the righteous Mordecai, and Haman himself gets hanged on it. But then in Esther 9.14, Haman's ten sons get hanged. Uh, they, they didn't do what their father did. Presumably they didn't participate in their father's evil scheme and plan to wipe out all the Jews in the empire. And yet they end up suffering for it. And then there's the famous story in the book of Joshua at verses 24 and 25 of chapter 7 where Achan and his entire family get destroyed because Achan had stolen the prohibited goods. And it cost the Israel army some soldiers, and it stopped the advance into the Promised Land. And the the punishment involved not just Achan, but all his family too. So how are we to explain this? Remember, dears, all life is covenant, And God makes a covenant with his church. In the New Testament, it's signed with baptism. In the Old Testament, it was signed on males with circumcision. And God is the God of the covenant. And this covenantal unity is something that's organic and real and spiritual. We have it with one another, 
And ultimately, we have it with the head of the church, Jesus Christ the Lord. So we are one body united to the head, Christ our Lord. So in the world, even of unbelievers, it is not an independent, atomized situation of people totally outside of each other without a connection. Even in the world of of unbelievers, there is a, we wouldn't call it a covenantal unity, but we might call it a corporate identity, which imitates the great covenant of God that he makes with his church. And there are consequences for behaviors. And those joined even with unbelievers sometimes suffer the effects of the father's sins. Now, if you know your Bible very well, you know that it teaches a lot about the sins of the fathers affecting generations to come. In fact, in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, we read that in Deuteronomy 5, 9b, that there would be the ramifications for idolatry and unbelief that would affect not just one generation, but several. Now, having said all of that about corporate identity, covenantal unity, it must really importantly be stated as well that on the great judgment day, we all stand before God independently, even though we're still part of this great church, which will exist in heaven as well. Uh, We read that text from Revelation in the New Testament reading this morning. It speaks to it. Each individual person is judged on the basis of deeds, We are judged on the basis of deeds, but here's the good news about that. Those people who are in Christ, like many if not all of us here today, who know ourselves still to be sinners, are judged on the basis of deeds. But here's how it works. The deeds in us that were faith-wrought, wrought of the Spirit, even though they're still imperfect in themselves, are perfected, in the atonement of Jesus. So the Father receives those faith deeds as offerings of praise to him. Not for merit. We can never merit anything from God. It's a blessing of his own mercy upon us. Their faith deeds are received in Jesus Christ as perfect offerings of praise. And all our sins in the life of the truly regenerate soul who loves God in Jesus Christ, a faithful member of the church, are forgiven are expunged, or wiped away, or not seen by God, or removed from us as far as the east is from the west, even as we saw it in Micah 7.19 earlier today in the service. They're gone. In the terms of those who reject the Messiah, say no thanks to him, they possess no faith deeds, and all of their deeds, because they're not wrought of faith, are ultimately unacceptable and even evil before God. And no one on basis of deeds can stand before a holy God outside of Jesus Christ. So I told you it's a serious sermon. Let's do some more serious application and understand why God's lion's den is a fitting illustration for all people in this fallen world. You know that the church's faithful sermons aren't just for the church. They're really for the whole world. Will, they, will the world listen to it? Maybe. I mean, if God's drawing people to himself. And this, this last point really reflects Roman numeral 2C above. 
There's, there's no way to avoid the lion's den. Everyone will experience it one way or another. The only pertinent question is, will it be resolved in the glorious, miraculous, regenerative rising from the dead in Jesus Christ, which we celebrated last Sunday, but do every Sunday, for every Sunday's a resurrection day? Will it be resolved there, or will it be in an eternal and righteous torment separated from the persons of the Holy Trinity? So we can see that there is an awful lot at stake in this question. Let us now firmly understand just why God's lion's den is a fitting illustration for all people in this fallen world. First, because except for Christ's resurrection, power, providence, and appropriation. Appropriation is how it's applied. Notice that we're emphasizing the word Christ here. The reason for this is because all the regenerate church's resurrection reality and power is in the person of the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself. We have no resurrection life separated from him. All our life is in Jesus Christ. We are in Christ Jesus. And that's why the Bible says in the New Testament that as he, Jesus, was raised from the dead, we were raised with him, as per the clear words of Colossians 2.12 and 3.1. So there's the only hope for any human being that's ever lived, ever been conceived, is to be connected to and with the Lord Jesus Christ himself in his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and session at the Father's right hand, where the faithful church today sups with, meets with, sits at the feet of and loves God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you can read about this in Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. So someone might ask, how does this become my own? And how may I experience this? Well, that's where it comes down to faith, not works, not law, not effort, not trying, not religion. It's living faith in Jesus Christ. There's a lot more good news in this sermon than bad news. Someone might say, well, I can conceive of the objective truth of Christ's resurrection, power, and providence, as per your point, Pastor, above, but... How is this miracle appropriated or attained by us? Well, let me tell you this, dears. I said it was faith, but here's the key to it. What is it we want? Our desire is what matters. We get what we want. We may have what is best for us if we will desire the Lord Jesus Christ. Just want him. How difficult is that? Anyone who, well, it's impossible save for the grace of God. But every human being who's addressed with that question has to ask that question, do I want God in Jesus Christ or not? And if we say no, no, that's our fault. We can't blame God for that. We can't say, oh, because you're sovereign. I... No, no. Do I want it or not? It's an issue of the heart. Anyone who longs for Christ Jesus, whether they know his name or not, not only may have him, they will get him. All this comes down to faith, and if it's saving, it's always in the person of the Lord Jesus. Because except for Christ's resurrection, power, providence, and appropriation, we are all doomed to destruction forever. That's true, dear saints. 
Now that's not a happy thought, is it? But it's true. But look, except for Jesus Christ, who is more than able to conquer all sin, death, hell, and damnation. Sometimes we look at the world and we say, oh, it's so bad. Sin is so awful. It's the high point of existence. No, it's not. No. Uh-uh. False. That's not true. Jesus Christ and his resurrection is over all of that. And we may be in him and in that blessing over all of that if we will indeed embrace him by faith. We are conceived as rebellious God-despising sinners, true sons and daughters of our first federal head, Adam. And we have to ask, who can get us out of this mess of our own making? And the answer is God's Son alone, the great hero, the one who redeems us, who provides us everything, who gave everything for us, every drop of his precious blood, every ounce of his perfect life. Somebody might say, well, can I work for it? Can I just be good enough? Can I obey the law? Can I do good things? Can I be a decent citizen? Can I have a good will? Try real hard? The answer to all those questions is no. Not acceptable to a holy God. You know, people that think they want to live by the law, they have to obey it perfectly. One deviation from it wrecks the whole thing. There is no righteousness in the law or works, behavior or performance. None. All righteousness is in Christ Jesus, apprehended by grace through faith alone, in him alone. Embrace Jesus Christ afresh and anew today by faith, dears. And know if you do that his blood cleanses away all the filth of all your sin. And his resurrection fully secures your complete, utter, absolute justification and righteousness before the Father. Beloved, God's lion's den is really not such a horrible place for us. We don't like it. Who wants to go into a difficult spot? A hot furnace. Nobody likes that. But we come out of it better, just like Daniel did. For the saints, it's not so bad. But for the world, without faith and repentance in Jesus, it's not a good thing to be in God's lion's den. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you release us from that lion's den. We've been in this chapter a long time, and comes to a rather dramatic conclusion here. We thank you that you have given us the end of all things in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you that in him we have all life, freedom, peace, forgiveness, joy, and grace. We don't need to fear anyone. All the unjust accusations that are brought against us, all the charges, all the reminders of Satan that we're still sinners, even our own conscience, nothing can stand before the bar of your perfect justice in Jesus Christ's blood given for his church. We thank you, Father, for Christ alone, in whose name we pray. Amen.